Yeah, hasn't he? You can give him another clap, a round of applause. Come on, give Jesus another round of applause. He's been good to us. Sometimes we don't realize how good he has been. Amen? It's easy to take the goodness of God for granted. It's easy to get so used to being blessed that you forget that you're blessed. You ever have to check yourself every once in a while? Remind yourself how blessed you are? Uh, you guys are a lot more holier than I am, so. Well, I'm very excited uh, to be here this morning, uh, tonight, actually. That coffee that we had earlier made me feel like it was morning. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to be twitching for three days. And I only had a, a quarter of a cup. I feel like I need to do Teen Challenge again. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I'm excited to share today. I mean, it's been a, a few weeks. We had the, uh, the U.S. Open. And uh, prior to that, um, we had a couple weeks prior to that while we didn't meet together. So just really excited to be able to bring the word to you. If you could open up to... Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. If you could, if you have your Bibles. I know all the Teen Challenge people should. Hint, hint. I'm going to share one verse with, two verses with you out of Psalms before I go to Luke. But we will, the main text will be Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. But Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31 says this. Follow along. Certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. We know that purple is a color of royalty, and I assume fared sumptuously means he was faring very well. <laughs> but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man had also died, but he was buried. And being in torment in Hades, which we know to be hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. There is. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here 
to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they all come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one rise from the dead. The title of my message tonight is Desperate for God. Desperate for God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy that has brought us to this place tonight. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to break the bread of life. I thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that if there would be anything that would come against the preaching of your word, Lord, that you would take your strong right hand against it. Lord, I pray for each and every heart here, Lord, that they would be prepared for your word as soil is prepared for seed, Lord. We thank you for this time together. We pray for the anointing of the Holy Ghost to be in here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Desperate for God. Desperate for God. We have three men with three kinds of desperation. The first man that we read about, the psalmist, is a man that is desperate to, with a thirst to see God and to be in his presence. With a thirst. Did you ever see, uh, I've never really seen a deer pant because I've never really gotten that close to one because they kind of skittle away. Unless they're running into your car, then of course they come close. But, but I've seen my dog pant when he's thirsty and he will hang his tongue out and he'll almost look like he's about to die. Like he's just like, if you don't give him something to drink now, his life is going to be over. In fact, usually when he's like that, my wife's like, we got to stop. We got we to gotta bring him. We got to get him some water. And I'm usually like, it's going to be okay. He always gets like that because the dogs, they, they sweat from their mouth. They don't have sweat glands. So, so, so they kind of uh, cool themselves differently. But they pant for water. And the psalmist talks about wanting and desiring God like an animal would, would want and desire, a thirsty animal for water. As a thirst, you know, it's easy for us to fulfill our, our natural thirst because most of the time we could either turn on a faucet like we used to do in the old days. How many people grew up drinking faucet water, right? God forbid you got to I go to drink faucet water, and my wife's like, you can't do that. I'm like, why? I did this the first 40 years of my life. I think I, it's okay. It's New York water. It's the best. I don't know how we think New York water is the best. I mean, it's from, like, under the ground, and, like, did you, ever, did you ever even see the rats that are under the ground in New York? I mean, it's like, how could the water? But anyway, the water comes from upstate. But New York has great, 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 great water. But when we're thirsty, we can turn on the faucet, if you so dare. Or you can go to the refrigerator and grab uh, some bottled water or some filtered water. And so fulfilling our thirst is really not a, a, a big deal. But for an animal, I would assume it's different because they have to find water. And sometimes the water that they're looking for, maybe it's a usual pond or a stream. But sometimes if, if it's an animal that's in a place that experiences dry seasons, maybe there is no water. So, so I, I would probably think that, that an animal panting for water is, is probably even a lot more desperate than, than we would have ever been 
when we're thirsty because we can assume that there's water close to us. I mean, we might go 15 minutes on the basketball court and we might be a little bit thirsty, but we know that just hand reach away is some cold water for our thirst. But the psalmist talks about the deer panting for water, like an animal desiring to drink water, like his desire and his desperation for the presence of God. And in Luke, we see two different characters. One is called a certain rich man, and the second is a beggar named Lazarus. And I think this is so ironic that the rich man has no name as if he was symbolic of a larger group or, or of a more common kind of person. And Lazarus was named as an individual or less common and more, a more important character in this portion of Scripture. The rich man isn't even given a name. He's just labeled a rich man. Like it's not important who he is. But Lazarus, the beggar, his name is named like he's more important or like he's more, uh, more of an important character in this portion of Scripture. See, three men are all desperate, but they're all desperate for different things. The psalmist is desperate for the presence of God. The rich man is desperate for comfort after the fact of living a life that was he was probably desperate for nothing. Didn't understand desperation. Probably always had everything that he ever wanted right at, at, at his fingertips, probably had servants that would bring him anything that he wanted, probably probably never knew what it was like to be hungry or to really be thirsty. I don't mean a little hungry like just having an appetite. I mean being hungry or thirsty. He probably didn't understand what desperation really was. And, and Lazarus was probably used to a sense of desperation. He was probably desperate for food and water. It says in the scriptures that he would just wait for crumbs. Could you imagine being at such a place in your life that you don't even, you're not even desperate for a meal or for, for, for something from, from a fast food restaurant. You just want the crumbs from everybody else's table, and that's how desperate he was. Lazarus understood what it was like to be desperate for food and water. As we know, he was a beggar. We knew that he was probably desperate for acceptance because, because he was a beggar and he was looked down on and people would walk by him every day while he'd be out there begging and they would just probably say names and make na fun of him and they probably look down on him. And, and so he was probably desperate to be normal and to be accepted and just to be a part of the crowd and to be considered just a person. Lazarus understood what desperation was. I'm sure he was desperate about his health. It says he had sores. So I don't know if he was a leper or whatever have you, but he had sores on his body. He was probably embarrassed and probably shameful. It says that the dogs would come and they would, they would lick his wounds. So he was probably desperate to be healthy, probably would pray and say, oh, well, God, why can't I be like them and be healthy? And why can't, why can't I look normal and not have these sores? So Lazarus understood what it was like to be desperate. I'm sure he was probably desperate just to be able to work and not have to beg. I know sometimes we take work for granted, and I know we've probably all said it, man, I wish I didn't have to go to work. Has anybody ever said that? 
Lazarus was probably saying, I wish I could go to work. I wish I didn't have to lay here with sores, and I wish I didn't have to beg people and be mocked at and laughed at and embarrassed. And I wish I could be accepted, and I wish I, wish I could be healthy and, and, and get up on my own two feet and just go to work and provide for myself. So Lazarus understood desperation. He understood desperation. And I'm sure that low, that desperation and that, 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 that lowly living and that being humiliated all the time, I would have to assume that at some point in his desperation, he must have looked up to God and said, God, please help me. Please save me. Do something in my life. And, and it looks like God had never came by and he never healed him. And he never, he, 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 didn't, he didn't fix him his situation. And he didn't bring him to a place where he had a job and a family. But as scripture testify that he died he died and he didn't receive his healing he didn't receive his reward until after this natural life was over but I bet you during his life he understood desperation and that desperation or those bad situation or the bad circumstance may have got his heart to a place where he was able to call out on upon God and God would save him have you ever been desperate have you ever really been desperate? The word desperate means feeling, showing, or involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. It also means in great need of or a great craving, a great wanting. I love this one, a great aching. Have you ever been so desperate for something that it actually aches you, that it hurts? A yearning, an itching for, a thirsting, a longing. That's what desperate for, or desperation is. It's a craving, a wanting, an aching, a learning, an itching, a thirsting, or a longing. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever been desperate in your life? I know as many of us in this room have probably struggled with addiction, whether it be alcohol or, or, or drugs or maybe pornography or, or maybe it's been food or, 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 or something of that sort. And you remember the desperation you had in wanting or longing for, for, for that chemical I remember what it was like to, I would trade anything just for the next hit, for the next fix. We've seen people sell their lives and abandon their families and their children because they're so desperate for that drug. They have such a longing and a craving for something. And aching, have you ever been aching for something? Some people find themselves desperate in relationships. Maybe you've found yourself chasing somebody at some point in your life and you just wanted to be loved and you just wanted to be accepted by them and you just kept on giving and giving and giving and giving and, and, and it was like out of desperation. Like even some people would allow others to abuse them just because they're so desperate. I remember we used to say that. In, in school, oh, he's desperate or she's desperate. They just want a girlfriend or a boyfriend, but that's not desperate. I'm talking about really desperate. 
Some people are desperate for materialism and, 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 and cars and clothes and, 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 and they'll do anything. They'll steal and they'll rob to, to, to get to a different status. Like, like I understand when people steal and rob and do things to support a drug habit. But when you meet somebody that just steals to steal because they want to have stuff, I mean, that's at a whole nother level, you know. They just steal because they just want. They just want to have. You know, they'll like rob like banks and stuff, and like because they want to. And, and they'll, they'll they'll have thousands and thousands. Their whole livelihood would be based on crime because they're desperate for what that money will bring, or desperate for money that they're willing to trade in their freedom. They're willing to do illegal things that could take them away from their family for the rest of their life, because they're desperate to have those things. And they'll do anything for him. Have you ever been desperate? Desperate. Well, we need to cultivate a desperation for God. We need to have a longing and an aching and a craving and a desire for God. How do we do that? How do we get to a place where we desire and we crave and we're desperate for God, like, like, like this, the, the psalmist said. He said, said, like a deer panting for water, just wanting to be in your presence. How do we get to that place? The first thing that, that I began praying many years ago because I wanted to be hungry and thirsty for God because I knew God wasn't the answer, but I knew in my flesh I couldn't do that. So I said, Lord... I'm hungry to be hungry. I'm thirsty to be thirsty. I need your spirit to do something inside of my heart, something inside of me, because within myself, in my flesh, I don't see myself gravitating to desiring or wanting the things of God, but I see myself gravitating and desiring things that are evil. So if I'm ever going to desire you, I, 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 it's going to be something that you're going to have to do, and I'm desperate, and I'm hungry, but I'm hungry to be hungry because in myself I'm not hungry. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So how do you know that you are becoming desperate for God? How do you know? The first way you know is you are becoming more concerned about pleasing God rather than man. You are becoming more concerned about pleasing God rather than man. I love when people say, I don't care what people think. Well, you know, sometimes it's important to think what people think. And everybody cares what somebody thinks. So that's why I didn't say you have become, because we'd be lying if we said, oh, I have no concern about what everybody thinks, uh, any person thinks. I care about what my wife thinks. I care about what my children think. I care about what, what other men of God that are by accountability, I care about what they think. So we all care about what somebody thinks. But we are becoming more concerned about pleasing God rather than man. When we do that, rejection from man lose, loses its power. When we get more concerned about, about pleasing God then we won't be so caught up in rejection. Have you ever been caught up in rejection? Have you ever carried the pain of rejection? I'm probably sure we all have. Well, the closer you get to the Lord, the less you have to deal with that. 
Because you understand that often people that rejected you just positioned you for where God wanted you to be. And many of the people that walked out of your life aren't supposed to be in your life. And if God removed them from your life, you got to let them go. you got to let them go. The opinions of man has lost its importance when you are becoming more concerned about pleasing God rather than man. The opinions of man. I'm okay with not being loved by everybody. I'm okay with that. And as you are becoming more concerned about pleasing God rather than man, you will accept the fact that, listen, not everybody is going to love you. Not everybody is going to be on your team, and that's okay. Amen. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That's like the new saying, hey, stay safe, you know, since this whole thing. Like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay safe. I'd like to stay safe in a restaurant eating food, and I'd like to stay safe at a ball game once in a while. Can we please learn how to stay safe doing that? You know, without these stinking masks. I'd like to be safe without the stinking mask, please. But it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. As I look at a bunch of people with masks. I'm used to people coming to church with masks, but not literally. <laughs> oh. That's not in my notes. That just, that just happened randomly. So. Colossians 3.23. How do we know that we're becoming more concerned about pleasing God rather than man. Colossians 3.23, work wholeheartedly unto God, not to man. John 12.43 says, for they love the glory that came from man rather than God. Don't get caught up in the glory of man because it's fading. I mean, quickly, too. People will hurrah you one day and talk behind your back the next day. I mean, they, they, they took Jesus were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, one day. And just a couple of days later, they were yelling, crucify him. If they did that to him, they'll do it to you. So don't get too hung up on the glory of man. Learn to please God. Number two, the taste of the world is becoming less appetizing. The taste of the world is becoming less appetizing. I have no problem with owning nice things. I just refuse to have nice things own me. We need to become more concerned with doing God's work here so we can party later as opposed to celebrating too early. You know, m much of our, our culture and our world, especially in the United States of America, you know, we love to party. They love to celebrate. They love to go out and do all these things while they're going to hell in a handbasket. And we put everything on the now, and we forget about the later. And we put everything into this life and live for the weekends or live for vacations or live for this and live to get a new car or live for that house or live for all these things on this side of eternity. And it's so easy for us to forget about that this is not our home. This is not where we're to be storing up treasures. That God has something greater and better for us. 
And I'm not saying that we can't enjoy life now. I'm not saying that we can't have nice things. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying is that our priority has to be in heaven. Our priority has to be sowing into things of the spirit. Our priority has to be in the reality that even if down here, even in this life, I'm a beggar with sores, that God has something better for me on the other side, that I, that I can walk through this life with hope, and I can walk through this life with a trust and assurance that God is for me, and that God loves me, and that I might face some trials here, and I may have some hardships, and I may have some bad days, but that's okay, because if I don't make it through it on this side to better days, then God will definitely, for sure, give it to me on the other side. Amen. And we get too caught up, especially in our Western culture, in American culture, in the, the American dream, which is not a bad thing by itself. But we forget that God doesn't have to prosper me to praise him because I'm going to praise him regardless. Whether I have food today or I don't, whether I am sick or I'm not, whether, whether I'm rejected or not, I'm going to praise the living God because this is not my world and this is not where I put all my, my weight in. My, my, my eggs are not all in this basket. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? We are stuck in a generation that wants to live our best life now. Folks, the next life is our best life. And I'm storing up treasures where I'm going. Amen. The taste of the world is becoming less appetizing. If you are becoming more and more desperate for God, the taste of the world is becoming less appetizing. John 2, verse 15 through 17, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possession is not from the Father, but is from this world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do I have anybody doing the will of God in this house? Are we about the Father's business? Are we ready to, to, to get our hands dirty? Colossians 3, verse 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. Folks, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't get so super concerned about this world. If you're becoming desperate for God, the, the, the taste of this world becomes less appetizing. Lord, help us. We are hungry to be hungry. Number three. If you are becoming desperate for God, you are learning to steer clear of the sins that easily entangle you. You are learning to steer clear of the sins that easily entangle you. I always laugh at people when they say, Amber Alert. I always laugh at people when they tell people, well, you can't hide out in Teen Challenge. And I'm like, listen, if you got to hide out in Teen Challenge to stay away from that mess you were in before, then hide out in Teen Challenge all you want. Hide out in Teen Challenge all you want. Because the same people that said that when I was a student, I remember they've come back three, four, five times still chasing their tail 
How's that working? Learn to steer clear of the sins that easily entangle you. Whatever you have to do, learn to protect your focus. Proverbs 4.25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Keep it moving straight. Keep straight. Look, keep your eyes on the cross. Keep on moving. And don't let anything get in the way of your focus. You have to protect your focus. You have to think about what is my priority in life? And if God is your priority in life, then sober living is also your priority in life. And if this is what you need to do, and this is what God has brought you to for all those Teen Challenge students staff, and this is his way of helping you through some hardships and some hard struggles in your life, then praise the Lord for it. This isn't punishment. This is a blessing. This, 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 isn't, this isn't punishment for bad behavior, even though we all deserve a little punishment. This is a blessing. God says that he loves you enough that I've provided and made a place where you can go and be cared for, loved, nurtured, taught the word of God. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. But sometimes we, we're looking to the left and we're looking to the right. I did that wrong. We're looking to the right and we're looking to the left. And we're, we're, we're not focused on, on, on what God has for us and what he's doing. And we get so concerned about all the other distractions and all the other voices. Protect your focus. Learn to steer clear of the sins that easily entangle you. You know the scripture. It's a teen challenge scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'm sure you all can repeat it. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. What does that mean? We all deal with temptation. But God is faithful. And he will make a way out. He will make a way out. And if you want a way out, you want to stay, be kept, and you want to steer clear of sins that easily entangle you. And I'm not only talking about the Teen Challenge students and staff and people that, that have issues with drugs because we all have issues. And if you think you don't, that's your issue. <laughs> it's called pride. God hates that. He'll take a humble person with a bunch of issues over one proud person that don't think they have any. Amen? God will make a way out. If you want to be kept, he will provide ways out. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, we also... We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, if you're desperate for God, or you're becoming desperate for God, maybe you're in this place and you say, Brother Paul, I don't know if I'm desperate for God. Well, one of the ways you're going to have to steer clear of the, th the things that, that get in the way of you walking this thing out, the things, the sins that, that, that easily entangle you, the, the strongholds and the traps and the snares that are set before you, God will teach you to, to, to steer clear of them. It's kind of like this, you know, as a person who, who struggled with addiction, you know, there were certain blocks and neighborhoods I would go to to get my drugs. 
and now at this point in time, in, 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 in this length, almost 13 years of sobriety, it doesn't matter to me what block I drive past or what I do. But I'm telling you, for a season, I had to steer clear of even those neighborhoods and even those blocks. And some people say, oh, that's a little crazy. Well, it's, it might be crazy, but I'm a sober crazy. So, you know. But that, that's with any sin. Listen, whatever sin. I mean, if, if food if, is your addiction, sugar, you know, don't go to Dunkin' Donuts to get your coffee in the morning, man. Steer clear of that stuff. If pornography or magazines or something, stay out of the stores to sell it. Don't cut off your cable TV. Cut off your internet. Oh, that's a little crazy. Well, how bad do you want this thing? How desperate are you for God? Because I've been desperate before, and I've seen desperate people, and they would go to any, any length, any length to get or to do what they wanted to do. But yet when it comes to the things of God, we want to walk around the issues. We want to play with this thing. But I'm here to tell you today that we are called to make some serious decisions in our life if we want to be desperate for God. And if we want to experience the manifest presence of God in our life, and we want to experience the intimacy and the closeness to God, we have to develop and cultivate a desperation for God. We have to steer clear of the things that easily entangle us. Your level of desperation for God will always counteract all the other desperations at the same level, with the same level. So listen, if you have some crazy appetites and crazy desires and sin, sinful things in your life, if you have some strongholds that you've beat, if you have some, some ways of thinking, then that, that, same, that same level of desperation that that is causing your life, you have to use the same desperation to counteract that, moving towards the Lord. That's why, that's why you can't pity, you can't dance around this thing, especially if you come from some of the backgrounds that some of us came from. I can't afford to play with this thing. I can't have compromise in my life. Because my desperation for God is my greatest desperation. You could take anything from me, but please, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Are we desperate today? Are we desperate? A hungry heart will always be fed. After all, Jesus called himself the bread of life. If you want to be kept, God will keep you. If, you want, if you're hungry for the Lord, you'll be fed. If you're suffering or in temptation or you're in a season of temptation, he will make a way out. If you need accountability, he will place people in your life, which you have to use the tools that God puts before you. But are you really that desperate? Are you really that desperate? We've been desperate for so many things. I'm so desperate for those chocolate chip cookies outside. But I had the fruit instead. But I had a cookie earlier today, so. <laughs> but I had the fruit tonight. 
with the sweet, like, vanilla stuff, it's kind of cheating. But it makes my mind feel better, you know? It's tricked my head. But are we desperate today? Does anybody want to be desperate? Are we hungry to be hungry? Lord, I'm thirsty to be thirsty within myself, Lord. My desires chase after the wrong things. But I want to be desperate, Lord. I want to be desperate, Lord. I want to please you, Lord. The worship team could come. I don't want to be consumed with pleasing man anymore. I want to please you, Lord. Lord, I've tasted all the world has had to offer, and it's becoming less appetizing. Lord, I want the things of heaven. Lord, I want you so bad, and I'm desperate that I'm willing. I'm willing to learn to steer clear of all the things that easily entangle me, all the things that get me stuck. Lord, help me. Desperate. We see in this portion of scripture is that what winds up happening is the rich man who's in hell is asking Abraham, and then he calls him father. So we have to believe that he's it's really a picture or a parable or of God the rich man, and Lazarus, the poor beggar. and The rich man is in hell, and it says that he's suffering, and he's in torment, and he's burning. And for the first time probably in his life, he's desperate. Because when he was on earth, he was desperate for nothing. But he's desperate now. And he's asking just for a drink of water, just for a little bit of comfort, because he had all the comforts in the world when he was on, on the earth, but he has no comfort now. And the beggar, Lazarus, had no comfort when he was on the earth, but now he's being comforted. And the funny thing about this desperation that a certain rich man has that isn't named and I, I believe the reason why he's not named because so many people go this direction that there's, there's not even a need to name him. Because few are desperate for God. But many are desperate for the life that this rich man lived with power, royalty, having everything he needed. But now he has nothing. And he starts out pleading for water. Please, let me just have a drink of water. And he doesn't get it. But then it's funny how it moves on to being so concerned and desperate for himself and for water. He says, listen, forget about me. Please send somebody to my father's house so that my brothers could hear this. So he's basically saying, I'm so desperate that I don't want this to happen to my family, that please send somebody. And what is he saying? He's saying that if you don't become desperate for God, that there are other people that won't hear the gospel. There are other people that won't know. 
They won't know that, that, that there's a wide road that leads to destruction, but there's a narrow road that leads to heaven. And when you get past the place of understanding that I don't only have to be desperate for God for me and myself, but I need to be desperate for God because my family needs me. Because my friends need me. Because there's people in this earth that need me. And if I just play games and chase the things of this world and chase money and chase relationships and chase drugs and power and and women, then there's brothers and sisters and friends and acquaintances and people I work with will never hear the gospel because I wasn't desperate enough for God to be desperate enough for them. And I promise you, if you get desperate for God, one of the things that God will make you desperate for is other people. Why don't we stand? I want to pray with you today. It's one thing I learned through the whole shutdown and through this whole experience with the virus and everything going on in our country is that I need to be desperate for God. Because this thing is real, man. This thing is real, what's happening in our country and in our world right now. This biblical prophecy popping off like popcorn. And you can play games with this stuff and chase getting a nice car and the newest sneakers and the prettiest girl or guy or whatever. But we need to be desperate for the things of God, for the kingdom of God, and for the presence of God. Because honestly, the world ain't buying the church if it ain't got no power. And one of the things that we need to be real about is the presence of God in our services and in our lives and in our, in our families and in our conversations. Because the world doesn't need another gimmick or another self-help book or lecture. The world needs the power of God. And the only way we're going to experience the power of God is if we get desperate for God. And we're more desperate for God than we are the things of this world and the things of this flesh. So we're going to sing a song, and I think that this, this, the song choice of, of nothing else was just so perfect for tonight. We didn't talk about this, but it's the perfect song for this word because I'm getting to the place that nothing else matters. Pastor Charles, nothing else matters. No, we, nothing else matters. Look what's going on in our world. Look at the people dying. Go. I was sitting at the window upstairs watching all the people walking by drunk and high and all this stuff and staggering around. And God has more for them. Yet we're busy playing church and games. We have empty beds in the house. We shouldn't have an empty bed. People are dying. This thing is real. And we need to be desperate for God. Desperate. If you want to be desperate, I just want to encourage you. Come up here. We're going to, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to sing a song. 
and we're just going to gain God's presence. And, and if, if, you, if you want God to touch you, if you need God to refresh you, if you want to repent of your sins, yes, I said repent. It's a dirty word, but we have to believe and repent and get right with God and get real because this is not no joke no more, folks. This is real.